So let's talk about the whirlwind that is the NBA offseason, the free agency period, and now with LeBron going to the West, what it means to the Raptors in a suddenly wide-open Eastern Conference. James Herbert, NBA writer for CBS Sports, joins me now. James, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, thank you. So, okay, I guess uh, let's start at the top, right, with the King, LeBron James. It As the days were progressing towards July 1st, we knew or expected the rumors were that it was coming down to either Cleveland or L.A. Then he refuses the meeting with Cleveland, ends up with the Lakers. As the Lakers stay now, and we'd have to assume that they'll be adding pieces, he's not going to go just to play with Lonzo, um, what do you think of this move for LeBron James? I think it's a great move for LeBron James, but more in the long term than the short term. I don't know what this team is going to look like uh, a week from now, a few months from now, after the trade deadline, like, Really, this is a work in progress, and he has a bunch of young teammates. Uh, he has a bunch of salary cap space uh, that the front office can work with next summer, and it's a really attractive destination to attract other stars. And I think that that's that's the deal here. He went to a sort of storied franchise. He went where um, he could have, you know, he can learn from Magic Johnson. Magic can sell him on having a statue outside of Staples one day. He gets to be in Hollywood, pursue his business interests, all of that. I think it was bigger than just a basketball decision, but I think basketball-wise, um, it could look very different uh, than it does today in terms of that roster. So the other news coming out was uh, Boogie Cousins, people losing their minds, DeMarcus Cousins going to the Warriors. Sure. I think what people have overlooked a little bit, at least in the immediacy, is he is still getting over that Achilles injury, and he's not going to be ready to play until January, February. Then you got to get acclimatized to your new teammates and back in game shake and all that. I, I guess, James, the whole point of the Warriors getting Cousins, one-year deal, low risk, and if he hits his stride come playoff time, that's kind of the whole point. Yeah, I mean, this is the luxury of being the Warriors. You can get a player <laughs> like that on a discount who wants to win a title, who wants to rehab his image a little bit, show that he can fit in on a great team, uh, and the downside risk just isn't there. Like, going into Boogie's free agency, I really didn't see a logical destination for him. But that's just because they never considered this. I never thought he would take that money, go to this team. Uh, but it, it makes a lot of sense for both sides, I think. I mean, it's not a perfect fit, but, I mean, it's just such a ridiculous amount of talent. Like, the, the idea that they can start five All-Stars oh. and all of them can shoot threes, like, it, it's just absurd. <laughs> and I, I think people got caught up in, in that sort of picture of how dominant they could be if he was his full self. But, yeah. They, they overlooked um, the fact that he's not ready to play right now. We don't know when he will be. Sometimes Achilles injuries ruin careers. Other times it takes a couple of years before mm-hmm. a player is back to be his normal self. This is only a one-year deal. We have no idea right now if this is actually going to affect the Warriors' season in any real tangible way. Exactly, exactly. And that's what we have to keep in mind there. But, James, I was talking earlier in the show, people, oh, the, this ruins the NBA, these super teams and all that. I think it only ruins the NBA if you're not a fan of a super team. Like, as a Raptors fan, yeah, this sucks because I don't have the super team. But if I was a Warriors fan, I wouldn't be complaining. Like, this this comes down, I think, although it's not fair maybe for the general NBA fan, like, it really comes comes down to, all right, if you're, it's jealousy from fans, I think. Yeah. I mean, of course, it is. Like, let's not act right, like, like any other league, any other team wouldn't build a team like this if it had the resources to. Yes. Like, a, a very special set of circumstances had to come together for this Warriors team to be built. Like, the, the cap spike in 2016 that allowed KD to jump aboard uh, was, was unprecedented. But they had put themselves in a position to do that based on really smart drafting, uh, good trades, 
and uh, honestly, a little bit of luck in that they signed uh, Stephen Curry to that bargain contract because he was hurt. Um, but every team is taking a, a ruthless attitude, trying to assemble the best possible team they can. I don't think the Warriors have done any, anything unfair. I don't think it's ruined the league. The, the league is not starved for more um, ticket sales or TV ratings or attention or anything like that. I think people love to hate the Warriors, but that in itself isn't bad for the league as a whole. No, and I guess the, the question becomes, and we'll find this out as the season goes, and in this year, uh, next year, and, and moving forward, is ratings-wise, attendance-wise, is the interest only going to be around, okay, wake me up when the conference finals are here, and not, and not a lot of interest in the East and in just the West? I guess that's the next conversation to have if you're the league and Adam Silver, is considering, does this kind of for most of the league now just take out any interest until the playoffs start. That might be something that would make things change eventually. I don't know. I mean, I've just seen no evidence of that. Yeah. Like People said that going into last season yeah, and then right. once the regular season starts, like who is actually canceling their league pass? Who is not <laughs> tuning in? Like Basketball yeah. fans are basketball fans and we're going to watch and we're going to pay attention to all the storylines around the league, not just who is going to win the title. Yes, it is true. The Warriors are going to be overwhelming favorites to win the NBA title once again. They have a historically great team. Uh, we did see them come extremely close to losing in the conference finals yeah. to a Houston team that I think was written off unfairly all season long uh, that won 65 games in the loaded West and could be really, really good again this coming season. Like It's not like there's not competition. But yeah, I mean, the odds of Golden State winning are great, and they should be when you look at that roster. Uh, I'm just not sure... Um, even if you don't like it, I'm not saying that everybody has to like it. I'm just saying I don't think that people who don't like it are going to stop watching. In conversation with James Herbert, NBA writer for CBSSports.com on Twitter at Outside the NBA. So what this means, LeBron moving to the Lakers, is that, James, the East is wide open now. The Raptors, the excuses are gone. And not that Masai Ujiri and the Raptors organization was saying it outwardly, but there was the built-in excuse from the fan base, well, nobody can beat LeBron. We can't beat LeBron. No one can beat LeBron. So he's there, and we just have to settle. Now he's gone, but you have Boston, Philly, Washington. Yeah. Like, you got pieces now, but it's wide open. I think the East that people are dumping on, that could be the most interesting storyline, that whole playoff race all season long. Yeah, I mean, the East is going to be more interesting uh, that's for sure. I, I, I would push back a little bit on how wide open it is because I think there's still a pretty clear hierarchy. Mm-hmm. The good news for the Raptors is they're still in that top tier. Like they're they're yeah. right there with Boston and Philadelphia. Maybe not in terms of the top tier talent that Boston has. I mean that team is absolutely loaded. Uh, but I mean the Raptors won 59 games last year. They cannot be dismissed. We'll see what uh, Masai has up his sleeves over the next couple of months. We'll see what Nick Nurse does when given the head coaching job, but I think as currently constructed, they should be in the mix um, for being the best team in the regular season again, and then in the playoffs, as it is with the Raptors every year, we'll see. <laughs> and I think that the Milwaukee Bucks having a new coach in, in Budenholzer, they'll be interesting. Maybe they can get into that conversation. Maybe the Indiana Pacers could could improve a little bit off of what they did last year, but but yeah, I think that top tier is pretty set uh, with Philadelphia, Boston, and Toronto, and not having LeBron there is certainly good news for the Raptors, and who knows um, how that is actually affecting what the front office is doing this summer. You would think at least that this would discourage them a little bit from taking a step back or um, making a trade that, that, that has its eyes more on the future than today. Oh yeah, I, I think, James, if you're the Raptors, this 
changes everything. Like, like the, the, the patience of Masai Ujiri has been great in building. But again, that excuse is out. So now, if Lowry, whoever else, flops in the playoff, that team, there's not that built-in excuse. And so if you're the Raptors, okay, Lowry's not getting any younger. Let's go. And I know you can't necessarily, the Raptors aren't built in the same way that they have the ability to either attract the mega free agent or, or build just like the, the Golden State style. But they're around kind of the old school team feel. They got to add something. Like, James, to me, this window is it just burst open for, for, for the Raptors. You got to go for it now. Yeah, I, I think they have to do something to improve the, the defense this summer. Like, all the talk about the, the improved offense throughout the season last year. And it pretty much carried over to the playoffs. But against the Cavs, uh, the defense just basically fell apart. Uh, it didn't look the same as it was in the regular season. Maybe they can do something to sort of consolidate a couple of their young players. Um, and maybe they won't be the deepest team in the league anymore, but maybe they have a little bit of a stronger eight-man rotation because eventually you have to pay all those guys. Yep. You already just had to pay one with Fred Van Vliet, but that's only a two-year deal. You're going to have to pay him again. And <laughs> he might be more expensive <laughs> in a couple of years if he proves um, over the long haul that he's sort of a starting caliber point guard. So I, I think there are moves to be made. There are tweaks to be made uh, this summer. I think Masai has a history of adding useful players uh, in the offseason. I thought the C.J. Miles acquisition last summer uh, worked pretty well. Uh, but I think now, instead of looking for, you know, um, maybe you want to get a little bit more shooting. That was an issue. Uh, but I still think, I, I, I think the defense is a bigger issue uh, than the offense based on what happened in the playoffs. They need to be a little more versatile. They, a little, they need to build on what they started last year with all the switching, te- uh, switching schemes that they utilized. And, um, yeah, I, I think they can be better uh, next year than, than they were last year. But, I mean, that 59 wins is, is a pretty high bar to clear. Yeah, especially for Nick Nurse. Like, okay, top that. Coach of the year, 59, yeah. <laughs> 59 wins. Let's go. Uh, last one for you here, James. Going back to the Lakers and LeBron, uh, Kawhi Leonard, he's come out publicly, said he wants to be with the Lakers. You got Lonzo Ball and his dad floating around there in hmm. L.A. I, and, and it's so tough to predict, I know, but what do you think the Lakers are going to do? Like, can Lonzo and that whole Ball brand coexist together in L.A.? And, and, and if they can't get Kawhi Leonard... Like, I don't know how far LeBron's going to go in a, a really stacked West. Yeah, I mean, as they're constructed, I don't think they're on the same level as Houston and Golden State. Uh, if they get Kawhi, that conversation obviously shifts uh, pretty quickly. Um, as for Lonzo, I think it's a really fascinating discussion. Like, I've been pretty optimistic about the idea of Lonzo playing with LeBron. I'm not talking about LeBron and the off-court stuff, <laughs> just the on-court bit. Like, I like the fact that he's... Um, is so good at those hit-ahead passes, those touch passes. He is not a ball-dominant player whatsoever. He's not a guy that's going to need to run his, like, 30 pick-and-rolls a game from the top of the key. Like, he's fine uh, with cutting, giving the ball up to LeBron, letting him make the decisions, playing fast. It's, there, there are legitimate questions about Lonzo, right? Like, the shot, it's not broken, but he shot, like, 30% last year. The form is not great. don't know um, if, if he is going to improve those percentages. And as a point guard playing with LeBron, like, Generally, the one really important um, characteristic that you want is shooting, and he, he just can't be trusted right now. Beyond that, you know, he's a great rebounder. He's a pretty good defender, especially um, for what he did. Your player in half court in a slow-down game, if that's what LeBron wants to do, I, I don't know that Lonzo is such a good fit. So I, I, I'm fascinated by what they do with him, whether they keep him or whether they move him. And if he is on the team, It'll be a really interesting uh, sort of dilemma. Like, how do they mesh these two players? Obviously, everything is going to 
revolve around LeBron, but you also have a head coach that wants to play with a lot of ball movement and wants to play fast, and he's been very vocal about that over the past few seasons. Are they just going to revert back to just playing LeBron-style slow-down basketball, mismatch basketball? I don't know. I kind of doubt it. It'll be fascinating. Lakers, LeBron, the Raptors, the East. James, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. James Herbert. NBA writer for CBSSports.com on Twitter at Outside the NBA. Still to come. We're going to have Keegan Matheson from Baseball Toronto chat about the Blue Jays' mini two-game interleague series with the New York Mets and why is that of specific interest to Toronto fans? Well, Joey Bats returning. Jose Bautista returning to the Mets. And in his 36 games with the Mets, he's batted 250, three homers, 13 RBIs. Not bad. Considering when he's with the Braves... Just nothing. And I would have to think, for Jose Bautista, this has got to be the swan song, right? Like, it's tough. You look at any sport, the great ones usually hang around a year too long. Usually. It usually doesn't end going out on top. Look at even Jordan just shuffling along with the Washington Wizards. If you go to the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, when I was there, you look at all the busts. You look at the plaques, and almost to a man, you find player X, 10 years with this team, and then one year over here. Player Y, 12 years here and one year. And it's that one extra year that that the great ones, it's like they need to prove it to themselves that they can't do it. Only they can decide. So you always see them holding on one year. Very rare that it doesn't go the other way. So for Jose Bautista... That's the storyline. See what he's doing uh, there, and um, I assume he would. We'd be expecting a, a standing ovation for Jose Bautista. What would you do if you're going down to the game? You can tweet me at AndyMC81. There's not going to be any booze, but is there polite applause? Does it not register for you? Standing ovations? Is there going to be a highlight pack? Who knows? Uh, we'll talk to Keegan Matheson about that at the top of the hour. Actually, 155 earlier than that. The World Cup action resumes. Last match of the round at 16, Colombia versus England. That's going to be on the station. And don't forget, 425 this afternoon on Overdrive, John Tavares. Johnny Tavares, JT, joins Overdrive at 425. Blue Jays talk after the break here in Toronto today. This afternoon, 425 on Overdrive. John Tavares is on the station. And tomorrow morning, former Leaf Tyler Bozak, now a member of the St. Louis Blues, will be on Landsberg in the morning at 8.30 a.m. Let's talk some Toronto Blue Jays and the return of Jose Bautista as a member of the New York Mets. Joining me now, Keegan Matheson from Baseball Toronto. Keegan, how's it going, man? Doing well. How are you, Andy? I'm doing well. So, listen, in a year for the Blue Jays that uh, fans would, would hope would, would be going a bit better, this is a nice storyline. This is something to distract us from not being in any sort of playoff race or whatever. And Jose Bautista, looked to be completely done with the Braves, has put a nice little streak together as a member of the Mets. What have you made about Bautista joining the Mets and ultimately what you think this means for him the rest of the year and maybe even moving forward career-wise? It is a nice distraction, and for Bautista going into Atlanta, even that was a bit surprising that he did get another shot. It looked for a while like that wouldn't even happen. And that didn't go well, but in New York, he is a good fit in the NL. Too bad it didn't work out with the Braves, but in the NL where he can move around a bit, play some third base if you really need, maybe even some first and be a little more versatile, 
Uh, he has shown that great eye at the plate. His on-base percentage, I think, is up around 415, 418 going into this series. And that should always be there with him. The, the power is still present every once in a while. And, and if he can hold this up, uh, an 850 OPS, let's say, over the year, uh, maybe he gets a look in a training camp somewhere next year as well, next spring. And uh, maybe he can pull another year out of all of this. Yeah, I guess it depends what the motivation for Jose Bautista is. Because at this, at this point, Keegan, I think it would, it would just have to be, all right, try to get the, the one more payday. Right, because there's, because really, as far as being somebody who is in his prime, it really depends on on what Jose Bautista thinks he is. Like betting on himself, does he feel he can still be an upper echelon guy? Those days seem to be clearly behind him. They'll they'll be interesting to see after this year how it finishes, what he thinks he's worth and where he thinks he's at. Yeah, it's an interesting fit. The the reality needs to be at play here. Yeah, he is not the Jose Bautista of 2010 or 2015, but. Going into Atlanta, if that had have worked out, that was kind of a dream scenario for him because it was a, a good team that just had a hole that he could fill. Now, the Mets obviously aren't going anywhere, and, and that's not going to be a playoff run or a championship run by any means. But the, the two scenarios that work out for Bautista are either a, a poor team where he can hit a few home runs and get traded in July, or waiting around a little bit and waiting for a contender to have an injury because a, a contender right out of the gate starting next April, there aren't going to be many World Series contenders who are just one Jose Bautista away, right. who are one 38-year-old away. That's not very common, so it's, <laughs> it would take some tinkering, maybe some luck in the right situation, but maybe it's not impossible. Right, exactly. So his, the reception he'll receive tonight in Toronto, um, usually when a, a, an ex-star returns, it's like, oh, is he going to get booed? Like He's not going to get booed, but... It'll be interesting to see, is it a standing ovation? Is there a highlight pack? Is it polite applause? Like, what type of, of reception he gets? I think it will be huge. And I think John so. Gibbons had a great line yesterday. He said, well, Ryan Goins got a standing ovation. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, that's a great point because um, you know, Blue Jays fans, they, they love their role, guys. They love their Ryan Goins and their John McDonald's. But Jose Bautista was and is the king in recent Blue Jays baseball and the recent success uh, uh, I'd expect there will be some sort of proper or official video tribute, but also uh, I think a pretty big ovation uh, today and tomorrow. What I'm interested to see is if he does hit a home run, what's the uh, yeah. what's the mix? Where's that 50-50 go at that point? That'll be interesting. In conversation with Keegan Matheson from Baseball Toronto on Twitter, at Keegan Matheson, talking Blue Jays, Jose Bautista's return tonight as a member of the New York Mets. Now, if we look at the Blue Jays as a whole, Marco Estrada on the hill, Four and seven, four point five three ERA. It just feels like Keegan, we're we're limping to the trade deadline and trying to figure out where and what the Jays are going to do. Who are they going to trade? Is this front office? What I feel, and Keegan, feel free to disagree. Like I feel, this front office needs to come to the stark reality: this is done. Like you, you got to get people are old, people are injured. You got to go in a whole different direction. I wonder how much of a blow up we're going to see at this trade deadline. It's a lot of delaying the inevitable. Right? Uh, Get it over Nothing with. is going to surprise us at this point. And, and I, I'm not trying to be pessimistic by that. It's just it's the reality for a lot of teams. It, it's a very top-heavy league right now. Last year, hanging around 500, maybe you have a chance. This year, no. It's, it's a very uh, competitive wild card right now. And the reality of the AL East, and Ross Atkins has, has said this recently, 
know, dealing with the reality of this division is a factor. You, you don't need to focus on retooling and maybe getting lucky with a run next year. You need to think long term. How are you going to line up against two truly elite teams in the Yankees and the Red Sox in 2019-2021? So there are a lot of potential moving pieces here. I think the Blue Jays will obviously sell off uh, their, their pieces like Hap, Estrada. You look mm-hmm. around Granderson, some bullpen pieces. That's easy. Where this becomes more interesting is if you're entertaining years, or, sorry, pieces with more than one year of team control. If you're looking at your starting pitching, a guy like Salarte who is at a peak value right now, that's where a full maybe rebuild or retool, whatever you want to call it, that's where it gets really interesting and starts to change the direction of the franchise. And you mentioned Estrada being a piece to sell off. I, I guess then you really look to the prospect angle and, and if you're going to go the long rebuild, right, Keegan? Because then you got to go not just getting pieces back that can help you now. You will need some bodies, but it's more about getting those prime prospects. And for Jays fans, the tricky part is, okay, you want those back, but in baseball it is so tough to hit on all those guys, right? And then, and then with the prospects, too, you get somebody back, you might not see them for a couple years. From a fan perspective, the payoff it's just so long, and, and after having and tasting that success after such a long drought, it's frustrating. Yeah, it, it's it's still a toss-up. I mean, going to Bautista, he, he came to Toronto for a minor league catcher nobody had heard of, yeah. and he was an average player. <laughs> yep, it, it, yep. it never makes sense yep. how it will work out. And in baseball now, prospects are reaching the majors so quickly and developing so quickly that contending teams don't have a ton of guys sitting in AAA who are almost ready. Hmm. That prospect who is just on the cusp is pretty rare right now in baseball. So you are looking at guys who might be a year or two away, and there's a level of mystery and a level of risk involved in all of that. Now, it is an approach where you go quantity over quality at some point and bring in 10 guys. If one works, fantastic. But it is uh, something that requires a little bit of patience. It's not an immediate turnaround like you might get you know, with a, a top pick in another major sport. It does take a little time. And So, Keegan, when we look at Josh Donaldson, right? He had the re-aggravated, the on-again, off-again calf injury and all that. And, and really, at, at this point, after splitting with the Detroit Tigers uh, over the weekend, it's something where we, we don't really need to look at the, the day-to-day per se. It's more of a big-picture conversation. That's, that's the next looming thing. What happens to Donaldson? Is it, is it, does he, could he come back on a, a one year prove it deal? Does that make sense to do if this team isn't a free, a, a full rebuild? Or, or is he kind of the face for one more year? Like how, it's so wide open. Like, do you get, have a, have a feeling or where you think that situation should go? It's really been baffling. It yeah. was just over one month ago now where we were in Detroit with Donaldson and he said, this is probably just a couple of days, but. We don't want to drag my roster spot, so we'll do a quick DL and we're back. Mm-hmm. That hasn't been the case. That's been the case with a few injuries this year. I've really dragged on curiously. Now, Donaldson going forward, you can see everything from a quick return and a trade like this month to something like a qualifying offer or him hitting free agency and looking somewhere for a brief deal like that because the Blue Jays right now are not dealing from a position of strength. They're, they're miles from the position they would have been dealing in last December, for example, because an opposing GM, yes, you're looking at a former MVP and what he has done, but it's easy to poke holes in this, and the Jays really don't have much leverage in any sort of deal with another team. It's suddenly almost a a buy-low candidate, which I I never thought we'd be calling Josh Donaldson. 
No. Uh, well, hey, let's see how Joey Bats does in his return to the Blue Jays and to the Rogers Center tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right, Keegan Matheson from Baseball Toronto. Jose Bautista coming back with the Mets. I hope he finishes respectable. Right? You don't want to see the great ones, especially what Jose Bautista did and meant to this organization for him to really bottom out. I think, though, if you're a Bautista fan, you also don't necessarily want him to surge in September and get red hot. And then in his mind, he thinks, I'm back, baby. I'm back. Let's go. And then have next year be the real fall off. Just kind of finish off nice, respectable, go off into the sunset and, and call it the day. I think for Jose Bautista, he's got to start trying to figure out, do you really want to be battling for a roster spot in camp considering the player you were? The status? The ego? You want to be battling with some triple-A dude for a roster spot? I don't know. That's, that's something he's going to have to figure out. But it'll be, be good to see him back at the ballpark with the Mets tonight. Remember, 425 this afternoon on Overdrive. John Tavares will be on the station. Soccer coming up at 2 o'clock. It is the final uh, match of the round of 16, Columbia versus England, my pro-line best bet still to come. Let's get back into some John Tavares conversation, though, folks. Right? JT is here. It's not a dream. The Leafs are stacked right down the middle. And so some Leaf reaction. Morgan Riley was uh, chatting with James Duthie and uh, gave uh, his answer to uh, how he found out about Tavares coming. Were you guys tipped off at all, early at all, Morgan? Did you know this was happening before we did? Not at all. I wish I could tell you that I did, but um, I actually got a text from O-Dog, of all people. I think he might have been the first person to tell me. <laughs> I think he's more excited than anybody on your team. Oh, tipping off Riley. Gotta love that. And Mike Babcock was obviously spoke to the meeting. He's got to be pumped. Imagine if you're Babs, right? You come over, you get the first overall pick, you've made the playoffs two years, and then you get the prime of his career, free agent, one of the best in the business, John Tavares. What a great day to be alive, isn't it? Oh, it sure is, Babs. It sure is, baby. So Mike Babcock uh, spoke to the media and uh, said, hey, it's great to see John Tavares make this decision to come to Toronto. Well, obviously, I mean, it's been a while coming. Uh, you know, I remember talking in my initial press conference that I felt that if we built a good program here, we'd get guys from Ontario. There's so many playing in the National Hockey League. And... You know, I mean, as you grow your team, you're watching guys that might come available and you always uh, hope you could get quality players. And it was great to see John make this decision. Obviously, gives us another high, high-end center to go with our group already and uh, makes us a much deeper team and a real threat. And I think we've been going in the right direction for a while now. And, and this makes us a much better team. Oh, it sure does. Right? Like, obviously. Makes you, makes you a better team. Makes you a stacked team. Like, what, what a great problem to have when it comes to what to do on the power play. Do you play Matthews and Tavares together? Sometimes, all the time, none of the time. Spread it out. Like, imagine last minute of a game and you need a goal. And you put those guys out on the ice together. Like, what a unit that the Maple Leafs have. Are there problems on defense? Yes. But you can't have everything, typically, in this salary cap age. If the NHL is still built like the NBA and just pay a luxury tax, the Maple Leafs could be building a super team. And I've received tweets at Andy MC81 saying, now they need to go get Eric Carlson. If there was no cap or a soft cap, 
Sure they could. Now they can't. That's not going to happen. Okay? Yeah, Freddie Anderson, Joe Bowen brought up a great point. Is this the time you bring Garrett Sparks up, who's been a man on fire in the AHL, goalie of the year, just, just doing phenomenal, has done it the right way. Do you bring him up and have uh, almost a 1A, 1B, where you give Freddie the majority of the starts, but not just the, okay, it's a back-to-back, put Sparks in. But you really give Anderson some time off. Limit the workload. And then you'd have two fresh goaltenders come playoff time. That can become a dicey situation, though, right? What if both are hot? Who do you go with? Who should go? And and you can get into that problem. I think, though, overall, that would be a nice problem to have. Two-star goalies. Could you then get something for a Curtis McElhaney and maybe a William Nylander in some sort of deal to try to upgrade the defense that way? It all comes down to salaries. That's that's the problem with playing fantasy trade world here, is that you can't just throw names out of what makes sense hockey-wise. You can't do it. Because then it's, okay, well, this guy's salary, but then that guy's salary next year, and this somebody has to be paid, and then it just makes your head explode. You can't figure it out. So getting a superstar, true, elite, number one defenseman doesn't seem likely. Does that mean you can improve? You can add pieces, maybe less exciting pieces, but stay-at-home guys? Sure. Joe Bone was saying they need to get a little bit of thunder on that lineup. Rough you up a little bit. Not goon squad, but to protect the stars, to protect your assets. Boy, it's going to be a fun year in Leafland, isn't it? We'll step aside and come back with my pro-line best bets and some more hockey talk here on Toronto Today.